verses 25 to 27, Ephesians chapter 5. I am going to invite the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's give our diligent attention to this reading of God's holy, infallible, and perfect word. Therefore, be imitators of God as their children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sweet sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus far, this reading of God's holy word, you may be seated. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us from it this morning. 
Let's pray. Holy Lord, we seek your face this morning, Lord, asking you to speak to us from your word. Indeed, O oh Lord, I pray as your yielded vessel that I may disappear in Christ Jesus, may be high and lifted up, that he may draw all men to himself, and that your word, as always, Lord, will come forth with a demonstration of your spirit and power. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As we continue our exposition here of Ephesians, we saw last week that the word of God spoke very specifically to wives. And we saw that God's word is very forthright being God's word, speaking to wives that they are to be subject to their own husbands. And we sought to see, according to God's word, what that meant and what it doesn't mean. Right? Particularly there in verse 24, at the end it says, So let wives be to their own husbands and everything. So let, let their wives be subject to their own husbands and everything. And as was stated Last week, and it's worth stating again, that in everything doesn't mean in sin. Right? Wives are not called to obey their husbands in sin. But in all lawful things, wives are called to submit to their husbands. And also, it's worth saying that wives are called to submit whether their husbands are worthy or not. Right? Wives are called to submit whether their husbands are worthy or not. And now, of course, as we consider our passage this morning, we're going to see that husbands are called to love their wives whether they submit or not. Right? God is speaking to you, husbands, this morning. And as the word of God is speaking to husbands this morning, it's incumbent upon all of us to realize that God's word still speaks to all of us, even when a particular group is being referenced. And thus, even if you're not uh, if you're a man, but you're not a husband or you're a small boy, you still must hear God's word. For you may know what it is for your father or for your uncle or for those who are married and how they are to comport themselves as men who serve God. And of course, women who cannot be husbands despite what the world says, okay, women who cannot be husbands, it's incumbent for them to know what the word of God expects of them. Not that they could use it against their husbands, but rather that they could pray that God would work in their own husbands for his glory. We're going to see this morning that husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And we'll look at this on the two main points. First, husbands love your wives. And second, Christ loves the church. So first, husbands love your wives. Look at verse 25 again with me here in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? The reality that scripture gives men, and in this particular context, husbands, in the marriage uh, covenant, the responsibility to be leaders, is not that scriptures give men right, the ability to do as they so please with the wives that God blesses them, but rather they're called to be servant husbands. They're called to be husbands who are willing, by God's grace, even to sacrifice for their wives. Now, of course, husbands are not Christ, and they are going to fail. Nor can they save their wives of themselves. But they are called, and being called by God himself and his word, they are enabled to emulate 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and their love for their wives. Here's once again a command, the same way the Apostle Paul in the inspiration of the Spirit of God tells wives to submit to their own husbands. God's word tells husbands to love your wives. And it's, it's worth noting, as I was studying for the passage, that it doesn't say, husbands, wa- rule your wives. It doesn't say, husbands, keep your wives in check. No, it says, husbands, love your wives. And that we can understand that when the scriptures speak of love, we're talking about God's love. God enabling love. Not the love of the world, right? The love of the world loves itself. It's selfish, self-seeking, self-pleasing. It lives only for itself. Where God's love is what? Sacrificial. For God so loved the world, he gave. As we know in John 3.16, and here, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The husband's love for his wife is to be a godly love. It's a God-induced, it's a spirit-filled love. And we saw earlier here in chapter 5 of Ephesians, back in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Remember, as we noted there, the filling with the spirit is not a one-time second blessing kind of a thing, but it's a continual, constant filling, being saturated by the spirit of the living God, growing closer to God by his grace. How do we grow closer to God? How do we love God? But by keeping his commandments. Right? The Lord desires obedience over sacrifice. Right? And we show our love to God by keeping his commands. And part of loving God, if you're a husband, is to love your wife in a Christ-like manner. In a Christ-like manner. Now Christ is God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He demands and he is owed the utmost allegiance and obedience, period. Now husbands... As we emulate, we're not, we don't demand in and of ourselves the utmost obedience, period. That's why we've mentioned, that's why I mentioned the last couple of weeks that all and every are not always completely uh, unqualified all and every. Right? Earlier, back in verse 20, he says, give thanks, the Apostle Paul says, give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we thank God that we sin against him? No. We don't thank God that we sin against him. And in the same manner where it says that wives are to be subject to their husbands in everything, they're not to be subject to their husbands in sin, as we've already established. And thus it's not an exact correspondence that husbands are to be, they're to be Christ-like, not Christ, to their wives. They are not the savior of their wives. Christ is the savior of the church, all of the church. All of God's people. That being the case, however, it does call upon husbands to emulate that love 
that sacrificial love, that unconditional love that Christ had. Christ didn't die for us because we stopped sinning or that we promised that we would stop sinning or that we asked him to forgive us for sinning. Christ died for us out of his love, unconditional love. In fact, it's greater than unconditional love. Because not only is it not based on conditions in us that we could meet, which we don't, but everything that we do meet is against him loving us. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Now that love, God's love for us, his people, ought to to flow out in biblical marriages and godly marriages. But husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church. And even as wives submit to their husbands in everything. Lawful. It's a high task, men. High task, husbands. Might think, oh man, I'm glad I'm the husband. I'll get to be the head. I get to be the leader. Yeah, you're also called to be sacrificial. To put your wives, hear me, church, hear me, husbands in particular, put your wives' needs before yours. Based on our own strength, that's not happening. But guess what? God who calls us, God who commands us, is the God who enables us, is the God who has given us his spirit, with, which, with whom we are to be filled with, so that we can obey these very laws, these very imperatives of God, these commands, to love our wives as Christ loves the church. What's important there as far as the grace of God and Christ loving us in spite of ourselves is an important lesson for us husbands. I happen to be a husband, so that's why I say us. That we ought to love our wives whether or not they love us back or they submit back. The golden rule is for everybody. Do unto others as you would have done unto you, not as they do unto you. So we'll be in a world of mess and of revenge, and of hatred, and of bitterness. But what does God's word say about all those things? We saw that earlier, right right here in Ephesians. Right back in chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, that's God's word to all of his people. But how apropos, how uh, appropriate is those, that word of God to husbands and to wives in the husband and wife relationship? Putting away all bitterness and anger and pettiness, being kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, Forgiving one another. See, the wife is going to fail. She's not going to submit at times. And I can guarantee you the husband's going to fail. He's not going to love his wife as Christ loves the church. But that's why God gives us his spirit. That's why God gives us repentance. As he's conforming us to his holy image.
Husbands are called to love their wives. There's an important message here too to you men who may be who are not married. Because if you're married and you're seeking to get married again, there's a problem. Okay? Men who are not married, who are seeking marriage, to consider Christ calls you to love your wife. It's not about romantic writing a song or getting goosebumps when you see each other. It's about are you willing to sacrifice. Are you willing to love this person as an example and emulate the Lord of Lord and kings of kings, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in your marriage, that it may be to the glory of God, not to your glory, not to your marriage's glory, but to the glory of God. Christian life is never about us and our feelings. Did you hear me, church? And our likes. It's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. Pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. It's not pick up your cross and the keys to your brand new car and your new lease to your, your, your brand new and the equipment that you have, or things of that nature. No. Let's pick up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. The Christian life as a whole is sacrificial. And in the marriage relationship toward men, as you're called to be sacrificial leaders, to love your wives as Christ loves the church. Earlier here in chapter 5, back in verse 2, in reference to all believers, it says, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. To walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling aroma. So this holds to all believers, but here, in our passage this morning here in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands are to love their wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, we have a grave task amongst us. Grave responsibility to love our wives. to sacrifice for our wives, to put their needs before ours. Before our selfish needs, of course. We're called to love them as Christ loves us. This command comes, of course, with the reality of being a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, this command calls all men, all men who are husbands to love their wives, but Christ is speaking to his church here, specifically. Are you loving your wives, men? I'm sure I can say with the utmost confidence, you need to love her more. You need to love her more. 
It's not about you. It's about the glory of God. Obeying God. And being Christ-like. But guess what? Christ loves us. And his love is immeasurable. Right? His love is beyond measure. As I said, it's, already, it's, it's greater than unconditional. How does Paul put it back in chapter 3? Okay, in verses 17 and 18 and 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Cannot exhaust Christ's love for us. That's why I can say with utmost certainty, men, husbands, love your wives. You need to love them more. And God enables you by his spirit to do so. Husbands, love your wives. Which takes us to our second point. Christ loves the church. Look at verses 26 and 27 with me. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. Christ not only loves the church and gives himself for her, but he gives himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands, this is the type of love we are to emulate. But you see here now, Paul is speaking to all of us. He's speaking specifically to husbands, but to all of us, this is what Christ has done for us. The church is not just husbands. The church is husbands and wives and children and masters and slaves, all those who belong to Christ from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We see that Christ's love is sacrificial, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. (coughs) Now there's a quite a bit of debate amongst the ex, uh, commentators throughout church, history, throughout church history and what exactly is the Apostle Paul referring to that Christ cleanses her, the church, with the washing of water by the word. And some, or should I say even most, believe it's a reference to baptism. But even there, there's a lot of nuances because Baptism in and of itself, right, doing the ritual in and of itself does not save, nor does it sanctify, but baptism done by faith, right, baptism done by faith, God, of course, blesses the sacraments when they are 
by faith for the encouraging and the growing and the holiness of his people. Those who don't think it has any reference to baptism uh, claim that it has reference to uh, Jewish marital practices in the first century, right? The wife, the, the bride, shall I say, would be taken away and she would have a whole ritual cleaning before they got married. And of course it was symbolic, but she would have a whole ritual cleaning before their marriage. Now I do think, and in particular Calvin, in reference to this passage, does believe it's baptism, but not bare baptism. Notice he says that Christ might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. By the word. And that word there stands for not the baptismal formula, Matthew 28, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but rather the whole of God's word, the whole of scriptures. The washing of water and by the scripture, Christ sanctifies and cleanses the church. And I also believe, and some believe that it's reference to baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul deals briefly with baptism earlier in chapter 4, when he says in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And there's the actual outward baptism to infants, to those who are covenant community, believing parent or parents, and of course adults who profess faith, who have not been baptized, but also spirit baptism. All of God's people are baptized by the Holy Spirit in regeneration. All of God's people are baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's not a second blessing you wait for after you're regenerated. All of God's people are baptized. In the same way, all of God's people are filled with the Spirit and are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In our passage before us, I do believe it has uh, some reference to both of those, actual baptism as a, a sacrament that Christ himself has instituted, but also, and more importantly, to spirit baptism. Right? That Christ, who regenerates us, right, is the one who washes us with water by the word. And we see something of the connection of that in John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, in verse, we'll read verses 3 to 5. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, regeneration in the border of the water and the spirit, particularly thinking of being baptized by the Holy Spirit, and also, of course, which baptism is a sign and seal of the reality that happens to all of God's true people. But baptism in and of itself, just doing the work, does not save does not save in and of itself. It's not an automatic thing. But done by faith, and it is something that God's people are to do. You're to be baptized. If you have children and you, you a covenant community, part of a covenant community, you ought to baptize your children. It's a sign and seal 
but the action itself doesn't save you, right? Paul, what does Paul say? I didn't baptize most of you. I, I, I desire to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. It's not baptism that saves, but God who saves us by faith. Okay, so this washing with water by the word that Christ, of course, uses regeneration and also, of course, spirit baptism and the spirit of God working in us to sanctify us by his word. It's the word and spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired the word. The idea that the Holy Spirit works against the word of God is clearly a misunderstanding of all of Scripture. That's where those who are particularly of a charismatic bent and use such passages as, you know, the letter kills but the Spirit gives life as if to pit God's Word against the Holy Spirit is to not understand who the Spirit of God is. It's the Spirit of God who inspired the Word. You want to hear God speak to you? God does speak to us in His Word. Now, it doesn't deny an experiential aspect to it, right? Because the Spirit of God testifies with our spirits that what? We are the children of God. So we're not denying the experiential that the Spirit of God actually dwells in us and speaks to us and through the Bible, through the Word of God. But we never pit God's Word against us. And surely we never base our lives on feelings or emotions, which are given to us as human beings, but as all things must be regulated by the word of the living God. A Christ gave himself for us that he might sanctify, for the church, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, for what? That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be, should be holy and without blemish. And this sanctifying, cleansing work by the washing of the water by the word, we also see, of course, in, God, in John's gospel. John 15, verse 3. And then John 17, 17. John 15, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. The cleansing power of the word of the living God. And, of course, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How does Christ sanctify us, his people, but by his word and spirit? His word and spirit, cleansing us, purifying us. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Now this is looking towards the consummation. We're already, there's the, there's the already not yet. We're already, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are justified. That's not something you've got to wait till later. You are right with God. You have peace with God. But you're not there yet in regards to sanctification. You're being conformed to the image of Christ. There's spiritual warfare as we get to the end of Ephesians. 
A spiritual warfare that doesn't happen once in a while. We're not waiting for the devil to declare war. We're at war. We've been since the garden. And we will be until Christ comes in the consummation. And he destroys his and our enemies. But Christ will and does and he will do this. Present his church to himself a glorious church. (coughs) Not glorious of herself, but glorious because of who he and what he has done for her. Namely, died for her, lived for her, was raised from the dead for her, sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for her. It's the love of Christ for the church. See, this is to be a great motivation to us husbands who are called to love our wives. Now, we in and of ourselves can't sanctify her, but we, it ought to be our utmost importance to us, priority, that her sanctification, that she grow closer to God. That we pray for her. That we do devotions as a couple and then we have children as a family. The greatest way we can love our wives is by pointing them to Christ who loves all of us, who sanctifies all of us, who brings all of us to God. As he says here, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. She should be holy and without blemish. What a wonderful truth that we see that already stated from the beginning here in Ephesians back in chapter 1 verse 4. Just as in him, so excuse me, just as he chose you, chose us in him, God chose us in Christ in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And in our current passage that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Right? Election, predestination, these are not boogeyman words. These are biblical words. And we can't decide to uh, redefine them because they make us uncomfortable or because we don't like them. Right? God is God. God's word is clear. It is he who loved us before the foundation, before he even made you. Oh, no, no, but he looked down the corridor. There was no corridor of time. Because he made time when he made us. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. And as he knows all things, and he would have looked down, he, guess what he would have saw? He would have saw you rejecting him. But thanks be to God that our salvation is not based on us letting God save us or allowing God to save us, but that God saves his church, that Christ loves his church, that he gave himself, that she would be without spot, without blemish, (coughs) that she would be holy. 
Election and predestination are about being holy in Christ. Not about, oh, God loves us, he don't love you. No, no. It's about God saving sinners. We all deserve his wrath. We were all against him. But Christ loves his church. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy. The same love of Christ expressed further here. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church. That she should be holy and without blemish. That's the work of Christ for the church. You see, husbands, Christ is not asking you to be Christ. There's only one Christ. He is calling, commanding, not just asking, commanding you to love your wives as he's loved us. Now, we're all going to be in different circumstances, but God's love, and not all love is love, right? That big giant meme out there. No, God's love is sacrificial. God's love, of course, is pure. God's love is of grace. If God's love is of grace and pure, our love, which is to emulate God's love, ought not to be based on our feelings, not to be based on what we think love is, but on God's love. Sacrificial leadership, men, husbands, putting her needs before your needs. There's some out there who think because Christ's love was sacrificial, men are called to have sacrificial love, that in the end they don't really have leadership or rule over their wives. No, men are called to be the head of the wife. Husbands are called to be the head of the wife. That, that doesn't change. Paul specifically, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so thus God says, wives are to submit to their husbands. That doesn't change. It doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't matter what you think in your heart. That's what the Word of God says. But wives, as you pray for yourselves that you would be obedient by God's grace, submissive by God's grace to your husbands, pray for your husbands because they're called to love you with a love that they cannot produce, with a love that they of themselves don't know anything about, but a love which God enables us as we grow closer to him, as we grow in holiness, as we grow in sanctification. What does it look like? Paul has been showing us what it looks like. It's not bitter. It's not angry. It doesn't have filthy speech. It doesn't lie. It doesn't steal. What does it do? It has edifying speech. It seeks to impart grace to the hearers. It's long-suffering. It's lowliness, gentleness, Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Yes, there in chapter 4, that's verse 3. That's in reference to the entire body of Christ. But it's applicable to a marriage as well. So it ought to be a peace and a unity between the husband and wife as they seek to love God, to live for God's glory, 
which they can only do by the grace of the living God. By being filled with the Spirit. The same way we can't exhaust God, we can't exhaust being filled with the Spirit. I don't know, Pastor, I'm kind of getting really holy up there. No, no, no. There's more room to grow. There's more repentance that needs to be done. There's more forgiveness that needs to be had. We need to grow closer to God. And husbands in particular, as you love your wives, as Christ loves the church and care for her sanctification, part of caring for her sanctification is caring for your own sanctification. And let it not be unnoticed that Paul right, gives three verses to the wives. <clears throat> we have three verses today, but then we have three, six more verses. He's going to keep telling husbands to love your wives. And whenever you hear something repeated, particularly in the word of God, you want to give notice. It's not because we're loving so well, men, husbands, because we need to be reminded that we have to love them. That we have to love our wives. And we can only do so by the very grace of God. The very God. God the Son. The second person of the Trinity who loves his church. Who gave himself for his church. To make his church holy and blameless before him. Thus, beloved, I want to encourage us all. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love as Christ does. Husbands, cultivate your wives' holiness. For in doing so, you will cultivate your own holiness. And as we're going to continue in Ephesians, then we get to chapter 6 in the children, so you can cultivate your children's holiness. And that we as the body of Christ can cultivate holiness. But without holiness, none of us would see God. For God is holy. And God is perfect. And our holiness and our perfection is found in him. In the very Son of God who God predestinated us and chose us before the foundation of the world. That indeed we would be holy. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful King, we do indeed pray that we heard your word and that we apply it to us that husbands would love their wives and those who are not husbands that they would pray that husbands would love their wives because of the certainty that we know that Christ loves the church, in whose name I pray. Amen.